I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school, and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Here we are today with an awesome Ditch Digger CEO podcast. This is going to be, uh, this is definitely going to be one of the best, Q. I'm yeah. telling you what. Yeah, man. I mean, I think our, our, our viewers or uh, listeners, should I say, you know, now that it's after the holidays, they've, they've, they've got fed you know, with their stomachs and stuff, but they're about to get fed mentally with this guy. Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is going to be uh, one of my favorites, of course. This guy is one of my favorites. Uh, Charlie Kirk. Charlie, welcome to What's Ditch up? Digger CEO. What's up, What's up, Quentin? Good morning. Good to see you guys. Good morning, buddy. You know what? Uh, so we want to tell the story. We can. We're going to we're going to cover a lot of ground here today, and Quentin's going to have some really great questions from his paradigm and. I'm going to share some of the, my experience with you, Charlie, which has been, it's been an amazing part of my life. Um, so, so we're going to. I like to. I like to usually start, Q, if you think uh, I'm on this. I like to start like, kind of with your up, upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. To kind of get kind of get the the listeners sure. in, uh, on pace of who is this Charlie Kirk dude, man? Where did this where does this all uh, come from? Yeah, right? I mean, uh, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Um, so right down the street from where we're uh, recording here. And uh, just the typical upbringing, overly involved in activities growing up, football, basketball, Eagle Scout, um, marching band, you know, clarinet, saxophone, you name it. <laughs> um, I remember one summer when I was a junior in high school, um, waking up at 5 a.m. and going from basketball to football to band practice to weightlifting and just all the way down to um, summer league basketball uh, to like 10 or 11 at night and just doing that all over again and thinking nothing of it. Like this is just normal. Yeah. Um, little did I know that was really training me to do what I do now because that was hard. <laughs> yeah. This is not. This is that was hard. <laughs> um, but always very hyperactive person. Um, a lot of energy, and um, you know, I kind of look back to how I was in high school and grade school, and this is really important for any parents listening. Um, if the if the kind of overlords to be were in charge of my upbringing as they are today. They would have diagnosed me with ADHD in a second. Sure. And I would not be the person I am today. And I don't have ADHD, but I just can't sit still. I'm always doing something. Um, but, you know, the, the, the 
people that are always trying to, you know, subscribe drugs and do all that in society, they would have said, oh, this kid's a problem, you know, put him on ADHD yeah, settle, medication. Settle right? his butt yeah, down. Exactly. Instead, no, you know, I was still, I was kind of the last part of a normal upbringing. Mm. No, I really believe that. I'm going to write a book about this. I think that the, the high school class of 2012, 2013 was probably the last class in American history where things were the way they sh almost should be. There's still things were changing, mm -hmm. but I look at my high school now and they have genderless prom and they have just all these wow. crazy influences that we talk about culturally. And I don't want to yeah. make this too much about politics, yeah. but it, it, and, and no more homecoming king and queen, you know, all these, just the deterioration of the pursuit of excellence. But w the, the solution when I was in high school, where if you were a hyperactive kid, just go sign up for more activities, just go do yeah. more. Yeah. Now it's, well, you need a therapist, you need drugs. You know, I, I look yeah, at that, this. Then it was burn this energy yeah, up, man. By the way, that was only five or six years ago. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't decades ago. Say, how old are you right now? No, but that's how quick things have changed in our culture negatively. Around yeah. 25 now. Um, 25 but, years uh, old. Turned 25 but, October 14th. Yep. Yeah, 14th. That's On right. my mom's birthday. There you go. That's, that's what good. I know. It was a good day in history. Um, <laughs> yes, it was. But, uh, the, yeah, so, so, so when you think about that, right, I mean, that energy, your mom and dad were good with it, right? They, they loved it probably. They, they fed yeah, it. Yeah, they embraced they it. They fed it. But that, that's... We're, uh, I'm afraid we're losing that in our culture today where energy is looked as a negative thing. Like you have to mm -hmm. control people that have aspiration and want to do good things. Um, and there's a whole political party dedicated to that. Again, we're not getting too much into politics, but you can't, I can't. Yeah, we'll bounce into that a little bit once in but, a while. But in essence, the, when I was growing up and I look at the, the, the students that are excelling now, my classmates that are excelling now back when I was in school, it wasn't the kids that were getting the best grades. It was two things. It was the kids that had the best ethics and re really had re were relentless in whatever they were doing, whether it be in sports, whether it be in the class. It was just a combination of really good ethics and being relentless. You grew up, you grew up with an older sister, right? Younger sister. A younger sister. Yeah. Okay. Was she, was she like this too? Was she? Uh, not as much, but, you know, it's kind of, I think it's more, you know, nature versus nurture type thing. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just biologically wired to be this way. So. Your sister is a couple years younger than you? Yeah, a couple years younger. Yeah. And uh, mom and dad, I mean, I, I met your mom and dad a bunch of times, and I love them. They're, they're really, really neat people. But they're, they're uh, you know, your dad's an architect, mm -hmm. right? It's mom? Very, very successful architect. My mom is a mental health counselor yep. here in the suburbs. Um, very supportive. And I, and I, I kind of asked them, like probably many people, that what the heck did you do to this kid to get him to be like this? What, what happened there? And they're saying, we don't know where this happened. We're, we, we, weren't, we weren't ready for this. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't know it was going to happen, right? And, but, but at least to their credit, they let me do, you know, kind of what I wanted to do. They never told me I had to sign up for all the sports and to do well in school. It was just kind of natural mm -hmm. volition, you know. But they, they held me to excellence and to standards. And if I wasn't living up to my own potential, they would tell me that, whether, whether, no matter what it was. Mm -hmm. But um, they would not overly involve themselves in um, in any of those, you know, any of the activities. But if I wasn't, the only thing they really cared about was in sports. Was I was I putting forth the maximum amount of effort? Mm -hmm. um, That's good. Yeah, and that was what they would always. I mean, if I was just you know not hustling or not diving on the floor for loose balls or not you know um, not finishing tackles, that's when they would get mad. Uh huh. Uh, not if I you know missed shots or if I didn't perform or, you know, they couldn't care less about that. Yeah. And obviously those are more, that those are actually moral exercises. Little did I know Absolutely. back then that those are, and, and sports are the, one of the greatest ways to teach young people morals. One of the greatest ways. How, um, how are your mom and dad mentors? I mean, I, I know your dad as a, as a great architect, you know, I don't know if you know this Q, but 
his dad designed was on the team that helped design that helped design a building Trump that Tower. we own. No, 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 a oh. building we own in Palatine. Oh, and Palatine Oil, yeah. Palatine. Well, he, he, he did design that. He did yeah. design it, yeah. The, he, the team was Trump Tower. Was, yeah. Yes, okay, so back to yeah, Forget about Trump Towers. Come on, that's nothing compared to this to Palatine, Palatine building. <laughs> so exactly. our, I don't know if you've ever seen our building in Palatine, Q, but it's a beautiful glass building. Like a, It's like a triangular building. It's at, very nice. In a spot that you, you know, they weren't supposed to be able to build a building, and they figured out how to do it, and it's a beautiful building, and it's a glass front. And it's not huge. It didn't have to be huge, right? But it's a really neat building. So it's kind of funny when I met your dad, and, and he said, "I think I might have something to do with one of your buildings." And yeah. Sure enough, you know. so so mentors, your dad, your mom, tell us about oh, how yeah. they were. As, my, as, my, as dad, my dad, one of the greatest things he ever told me was not to be afraid of hard work, um, and that that's instilled in students. Like they're afraid of it. It's like, oh my goodness, I might have to work hard. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get over that obstacle, um, a lot of things start to fall in place. And I remember being in seventh grade or eighth grade and we had really really early basketball practice like 5 30 a.m and that was early that's early for a seventh grader yeah. it's early for anybody it's really early for a seventh grader and i was complaining like, what are you afraid of you're gonna get sick okay if you get sick you're at home yeah okay, what, what are you afraid of that is it's gonna be tough well a lot of things are tough but it's gonna feel really good when you're done and you're gonna have fulfillment i was like oh i, I guess i you know and when you actually start to rationalize it yeah. you're, you're no longer afraid of it you just embrace that you know the the utility of it and sure. um and it, it, it's all very relative. As you start to get used to um, having fulfillment and achievement of an activity, well, then you want more of it. Sure. And, it's, and then there's momentum theory and all those sort of things. Well, one, one of our guests earlier, is there number, our no, episode number nine, was it Bill Ryan? Eight or nine? Don't remember the what, episode, but what he it, spoke on is that uh, hard work is the cheat code. The cheat code. The cheat oh, code. yeah, it is. And right. it's, it's hard. And I'm, that's such a cliche term, hard sure. work. So I, I, I prefer... The term grit, I think that's actually a better um, um, description of it. Just we use that term a lot because right? I mean, yeah, establishing you, grit. Yeah, and w- people ask, well, what is grit? It would be if you're trying to climb a mountain and all of a sudden your legs give out, then you have to climb the mountain just using your upper body. That's grit. Yeah. Mm, that's good. That <laughs> that's the really analogy good. I use. I like it. Okay, so how about your mom? I mean, your, your mom. Oh, she, she's wonderful. The other- Probably the most ethical person anyone will ever meet. Um, just so just loves other people very empathetic that's you know she's in counseling mm-hmm. extraordinarily honest very supportive but not not in a helicopter capacity my parents were never um, you know just they, they you know you understand the parents I'm describing where they tried mm-hmm. to live vicariously through their kids that was never them um, but they're very very supportive throughout yeah the whole so upbringing. I experienced this uh, you know coaching my kids in in Catholic grade school we were uh, we had I, I was coaching the sixth grade team. Then I was coaching the seventh grade team at the time, and eventually the eighth grade team. But seventh grade team, they said it's it, it, it it's we need to stick. We need to change this from A and B team to even teams. And yeah. I said, even teams? Are you kidding me? What do you mean? This is seventh grade now? And they and they, uh, they I had the whole board, the whole athletic board against me on this subject and the school board all all were on top of this and most of them were against me too seventh grade should be even teams you know gary i said wait a minute i'm coaching this team i want a and b team sixth grade was even teams got that seventh grade eighth grade got a bit you know i want a and b teams by this time kids got to compete right and i ended up winning the conversation the way i won it was i said i'm going to call the other team in the league there's another catholic school with two teams and, it, and I, I kind of knew the answer already. And I said, if this coach is doing even teams in seventh grade, I think it's the right thing for us to do too, even if I don't want to, yeah. right? Sure enough, I called Matt Turk, who's actually a friend of mine and a great business leader today, Intran. Great business leader at a company called Intran. Yeah, I know Intran, yeah. All right, great business leader. How does he think? You know, competitiveness is good probably, right? 
Sure enough, I called the Mets. I said, are you kidding me, Gary? Seventh grade? Of course we're doing A and B team. Yeah. So anyway, we, we, we had ended up, uh, they ended up finally agreeing to me to do it. But golly, it was, just, it was crazy at yeah, the time. I remember being in AHYBA, which is the Arlington Heights Youth Basketball Association, and they had this stupid um, egalitarian method of doing basketball and in fifth or sixth grade. And like you could only play a quarter, then you had to sit out a quarter. It drove me insane. And I, I just was so... A person so, with a lot of energy, I could see why. No, I was, I was good at basketball, and yeah. I still am. Um, and I, mean, I love basketball, and one of the reasons I love basketball is you can be really good just by effort. It's one of the few sports mm. that if you just real, if you if you block out and you rebound and you hustle, there's a place for you. It's one of the few sports that it, in You're baseball, right. effort means nothing. It's, it's like you know, baseball. It's like absolutely nothing. Yeah. You no, know, seriously, you could have effort and you'll never play. Football is effort. You know, effort driven too. If you go sure. to the weight room and you go over for five, six years and just get big enough. Wrestling. Um, wrestling is pretty effort. Yeah. Exactly. Too. Sure. But baseball. Forget about it. Yeah. It's very. It, actually, I think baseball is America's pastime for a reason. That's that's an hour long podcast <laughs> we can get into for a different reason. Um, because it doesn't matter how big you are or where you come from. You know, you could be five. It's one of the only sports where average athleticism can actually be rewarded. Mm. Um, but it's uh, it's it rewards dexterity and precision and, and tactical capacity. Mm. Oh, anyway, that's a different kind of muscle memory. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But um, I like golf. Golf's yeah, well, golf's golf's. A, <laughs> hey, hey, golf's my new game now, dude. When you yeah, get to me, I you got to find out, figure out something. Golf. I've really tried. I just, <laughs> I just not. So you got you got a pretty good ball player next to you here with no, Quinn. Good. You know, Quinn's a good I, ball player. I, I love basketball, and I I got better. We go out when, once in a while. I was better at fifty than I was at nineteen because I started playing basketball. But, but, out of high but school. of course, the 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 matrix of how effort is rewarded mm-hmm. it, it it depreciates over time if you were to yeah. build an equation because you get the senior and you're in high school. If you're five six and you have a lot of effort, you're all right. You might make the team, but you're not. But if you, <laughs> if it, but if you have a lot of natural gifts, if you're six ten and you play super hard, well, you're going to be like an all state basketball exactly. player. Exactly. You know. Well, how tall are you? Six four, six five. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you're really good at basketball, man. That's I want to see you two play though. Cool. You, I heard your game is solid. Q. Whenever he's ready. That's I, I heard this good. guy's got some hops. Um, so let, let me ask you a question. So right after, right after high school, uh, and I know a, a little bit about your story, mm-hmm. but you know, kind of give the mindset of that as kind of sure. where you were at. And Wait, can I can I ask this before I go there, Q? Um, you're, you know, you read a lot of books as a young guy. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that, because I mean, before yeah. this, before high school and all that, he. I, I want to, and we'll, we'll we'll pick up on that too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love to read. I love to learn. Um, and kind of throughout this whole thing, um, I was um, I was always very aspirational. I was, and Gary knows exactly what I'm talking about. But and for anyone listening to this podcast, the um, this is the type of per- if you're this type of person, then really take notice of what I'm going to say. But you're always daydreaming and you're always visualizing. You're, whether it be tasting a meal you enjoy or hearing a song, no matter what you're doing, you're dri- whether you're driving a car or you're in a class, or you're always visualizing. Entrepreneurs are, 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 visual, are, visual, are visualization um, extraordinaires without even realizing it um, from a very, very young age. And so when I was 10 or 11, I would visualize having a huge house or having a really big business or whatever it was. Or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so I was just naturally aspirational. And there's a lot of people that are like that. Um, and the worst thing you could possibly do is, is crush those dreams by telling students just to be mediocre, go work for somebody. And that's quit, what our, quit dreaming. Well, quit that, that, that's, what our, that's what our culture is trying yeah. to do. And this is yeah. what certain people want to do, but we're not going to get into the politics of it. <laughs> but, um, but from a young age, I was always, yeah, I want to be the best. Like, I want to be a five-time Olympic gold medal winner. I want to be a two-time Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? Then I'm going to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And you know, just like everything you could possibly imagine in the hierarchy of success, that's who I wanted to be. And there's a lot of students that are like that. 
Um, and so since I was so driven towards it, it, it never made sense to me when politics started to get brought up in fifth and sixth grade, why someone who works two jobs should have to pay more taxes than someone that works one job. Now, that's a superly overly simplified way to look at you know, economic policy, mm-hmm. but I could never hear a good argument against it. My teachers said, well, the person with one job might not be a skill, but like, no, I'm working two jobs. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm working harder. I don't understand. And so little did I know my aspiration collided with, my, uh, with politics. And so I wanted to find a belief system that w- would, would harmonize with aspiration. And that was a more conservative, free market, entrepreneurial perspective. So I kind of fell backwards into it. It was mm-hmm. I fell back, and then I started to look at the ideas that supported that, written by Milton Friedman and Ludwig von Mises, and you know all the great thinkers of the modern day free market. Because I said, if someone wants to achieve, what kind of a society would allow them to achieve at the highest level possible, while also enriching the most amount of people while doing it? Mm-hmm. And that's when I found these great ideas, and that's where it all started to make sense for me. Um, and and then then I, then I, then once you become a disciple of the market, which is the greatest wealth creating engine in the history of the world, um, everything we have markets and everything. Uh, markets are impossible to destroy. They even have markets in North Korea and Venezuela. Sure, it's just they're not officially you know built as markets. But for people that are listening, saying, well, what is a market? Well, a market is a is a place, not a physical place, but a, a place where individuals can trade value for value. Um, whether it be really good idea, trading good ideas with bad ideas, or trading. Um, goods and services are trading fuel for money. Every, it's just trading value. And so markets must be allowed to exist. In order to have markets, you have to have winners and you have to have losers. And responsi- you have to be able to reap the benefit and also take responsibility for the loss. So anyway, I, I could go on for hours no, no. about this, but that's how I... So that, did- and so then, then I got really into the politics side of it because the contrarian in me, which I am by definition, then I, then I found identity in being politically different. Because then I got known as the one conservative kid. And then also being a Christian upbringing with, you know, what I like to think, you know, pretty strong morals and ethics, I then defended pro-life values and defended Christian values. And then I, then I became this whole full front, you know, conservative. And like in high school, you just didn't do that, especially during yeah. Obama. Now, mind you, I was in high school, in a freshman year in high school when Obama just got elected, 2008. So it was, if you were not wholeheartedly worshiping the guy, you're considered you're considered like the worst human being ever. Well, that that was me, and I found a lot of satisfaction in it, especially in Chicago <laughs> in the Chicago area. Where of course, was no, this was heroic. In the oh Chicago my goodness! Area. I mean, it was yeah, without without question. Yeah, I was I was experiencing some of the same same things in the business world at that point. But yeah, so then after high school, well, so my whole throughout high school, I said, what's the hardest school to get to in America that I could get into? So I had pretty good grades, but I, I was not a straight A student. Um, I tested very, very high in SATs, and I was, I was in the top, I was right near the top of my class, very, very close. But you know, I wasn't good enough, and I knew this uh, to get into Harvard, Yale, or Princeton. Nor did I really want to. So, I, so, what's the hardest school that actually embodies the type of person I wanted to get into? Of course, West Point. Yeah, West Point. Of course, <laughs> that 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 is the hardest school to get into. It really is. And so I said, that's the school I want to go to. Military service, yes. Waking up at 4 a.m., yeah. Like, you know, whatever is the <laughs> hardest thing a human being could possibly do, that's what I want to do. Um, and so I said, West Point, of course. So around the sophomore year of high school, I said, that's where I want to go. And everyone said, well, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> because essentially, I love the country. I love what we stand for. I want to serve it. Everyone, And it's also for very, very, very driven people, right? Um, and so I went through the whole process. I don't want to get into a lot of the details of it. It's, yeah. just, it's just a different chapter in my life. But um, I was Eagle Scout, football, basketball captain. Like I said, r- really good grades, good test scores. Got nominated by my local congressman. Um, 
and then whatever reason I just got waitlisted and then denied. And this was in March of my senior year where I got the denial letter, which just beyond puzzled me and uh, kind of let me down a little bit. But in some ways it was really liberating and I couldn't even identify the feeling as it happened um, because going to West Point is almost the opposite of becoming an entrepreneur. You're becoming a just a unit in a very, very big machine. Mm-hmm. And little did I know my drive and energy was not towards serving, you know, just uniform military command, of which I would have done 100%. But really, I was an entrepreneur that loved to question authority and, you know, do creative destruction. And so it was really liberating. And my subconscious was actually really happy about it. We can get into conscious versus subconscious. And this, and this was when? What? This was March of 2012 of my and we met in january of 20 february of 2013 so this was this was nine uh, 11 months before i met you and Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a perfect storm that happened so it was during obama's re-election campaign number one i get my denial letter um my parents said you got to pay your way through college essentially it's all on you so i wasn't really quick to go apply to a bunch of other schools and then i really started to find a super deep interest in politics that's where it just went to a whole nother level. But remember, I ended basketball that March. It was over. So the first time in my life, I had nothing to do. And nothing. I didn't, I didn't have to go to basketball practice. I didn't have to go to football practice. I didn't have to do I, 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 and I didn't, I didn't get into college. I didn't care about grades. <laughs> no, seriously. I was like, I'll just get C's. So I had, nine, I had all of March, all of April, and all of May, you know, 90 days to go do something. And that's when I really started to experiment with politics. So let me, um, uh, so, Sorry, I w- no, no, you're good. You're good. So one of the things I, I guess you, that you kind of alluded to was um, the, the aspect of, well, was that your first, when, in, in the way you look at it, I don't think entrepreneurs look at failure as failure. They look at it as opportunities to even get better. Was that like your first? Well, it was my the, first rejection. It was right. my first real rejection, but it was the best thing that never happened to me. I mean, I would, I'm so glad I didn't get in. And maybe my subconscious was actually trying to make me not get in. I, I don't know. No, seriously, your subconscious is the most powerful thing that people don't realize. And as soon as a human being can even learn to detect the minor details of a subconscious, you'll become exponentially better. Your subconscious is all of a sudden you're walking through the halls and you think of a name. You're like, why did I just think of this name? It's because your subconscious has been processing information the last week. And it's like, just this one person can make this deal happen and it just pops up. As soon as you can listen to your subconscious, you become, you can become a a super machine almost because because almost 98% of all cognitive function is done without you even realizing mm. your conscious your your frontal part of your the, the the part that you actually listen to that's your voice in your head um, is very very super it's, it's just very simple most of the machinery behind thinking happens when you're asleep or happens without even realizing it sure. but if you can communicate with it maybe my subconscious is actually saying no don't you don't <laughs> you don't want to go there but anyway yeah that was my first rejection and then, um, then the entrepreneurial spirit was finally allowed to, um, to exist. And that's the one thing that people have to realize um, if they're listening to this, like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to start a business, is the best time to start is between the ages of 18 mm-hmm. and 22, mm-hmm. but without a doubt. And the expression nothing to lose is so cliche, but it's important because there's a lot of people that have stuff to lose. Absolutely. And when I talk to kids all over, and Quinn's heard this story, I think when we first met, I was telling this story in front of a bunch of kids from the south side of Chicago. Quinn was speaking there as well as I was. And the thing I I definitely saw was my my start with nothing was a blessing because when I had nothing three different times in my career and 30-some years later, I was like, oh, you know, I've been here before. This is not the end of the world, right? This is comfortable. I get it. It's okay. I got it. And it's it's kind of, and this is uh, not the most perfect analogy, but 
in military conquest history, um, it's there, there's two different types of exercise. There's conquering land and ruling land, right? So entrepreneurs, it's very difficult. It's different to build a business and be growth, 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 and then manage a business. Yes, two different things. Two totally different systems. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I, I was not put on this earth to manage anything. I just wasn't. I'm about growth and fixing and creative destruction and inspiring. That's, that's where I'm comfortable. Yeah. And then I find really good operators. And that, so those are two totally different things. Just because you built something doesn't mean you can manage it. It Absolutely. does not mean you can Absolutely. manage it. Absolutely. We would be a wreck in the Rabine group if I was managing everything. Oh, guaranteed. I mean, turning point would not be where we are turning if I had point. to be. Yeah. I find people that, and some people are given the gift of management. So, so, you know, um, tell us about Bill Montgomery sure. and when you met Bill, because, you know, Bill is uh, still, still a um, great foundation of mm -hmm. your, your past success yeah. and future success. And, yeah, know. so I met Bill um, in April of 2012, so right near that kind of rejection phase. And um, Was it after or before the re rejection that you met Bill? Almost simultaneous really? during that was all happening. And um, Bill says to me, he hears me speak at an event. And essentially he says, Where, what, what are you doing with your life? And that was the first time someone asked the question that way, because typically we ask our high school seniors, where are you going to college? Oh, what do you want to do? Yeah, and he's, what do you want to do with your life? It was like a different way. It was, it was just kind of just cut right through it and just hit me in a very deep way. And I said, um, I don't know, I want to go there. He's like, well, what, where, where? He's like I, I was kind of filming my words. I might want to go to college. Like, why? why? You don't need to go to college. Like, of course I do. And that's the best advice I have for high schoolers is you don't need to go to college. In fact, you'll, most people I see go to college just lose who they are. And then I, that's a whole different podcast we could talk about in a long period of time. If you want to be an entrepreneur, the worst place to go is college. The worst place. And don't give me this nonsense. I'm going to learn to be an entrepreneur. No, you'll learn the opposite. <laughs> you'll get into debt. Nothing good will come. If, if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a surgeon, great. College is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. That's only if you know that's what you want to be, though. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Bill was correct in saying, well, think about what you want to do. I, you know, I'd love to support you in any way. And I started to think, and my entrepreneurial juices were flowing. And I said, well, what if I start you know, a little local movement? And, and, and I did. And it had some marginal success, got on Fox News, wrote some articles. And then on June 5th of 2012, with you know, Bill's support, we started Turning Point USA, which is now six and a half years later. And I, I, th I don't think we've said this yet, just to give the listeners an idea of what I do. Um, it's a grassroots nonprofit dedicated to uh, essentially saving the American culture, which we define as one that rewards hard work, makes good choices, respects the Judeo-Christian ethic, that we are the greatest country ever to exist, the Constitution's the greatest political document ever written, uh, that free markets are the most moral, proven, and effective economic system ever discovered. And we want, we want our generation to be one that understands and embraces these ideas, that allows entrepreneurs to you know, pursue excellence, and that, um, and that we're not going to be a country that just embraces mediocrity or victimhood mentality or one that apologizes for being American. Anyway, all that put together was why we chartered our organization. We've mm -hmm. had a ton of success. Um, we're now on 1,400 high school and college campuses. Thousands and thousands of students attend our conferences. Gary saw it with just the best speakers you could possibly assemble. And uh, now a budget this year upwards of, geez, 16, 17, 18 million dollars in revenue, which is uh, a sizable for any outfit, especially a nonprofit that's in this awesome. six year. So. We're going to hit 20, 20 million this year. That's right. That's, that's what right. we want to do, right? That's right, Gary. Always yeah. more. Yeah. So, so um, you know, and anybody, I, so, so Charlie, my, my amazing, uh, t the time I met Charlie, right, was 2000, 
2013, was it? Yeah, that's right. So I met Gary. Gary was a huge part of getting us where we are. And and this is another important thing that, and I I know I'm monopolizing the conversation, so I apologize. So is um, people need to find mentors or um, people to lean into them and just give them that little piece of rope. But for the entrepreneurs out there, when you're given that rope, you got to take it really seriously. You know, and I've seen people screw it up. I'm yeah. sure you have too, right? Yep. You, you've seen people really screw it up. They take it for granted. They don't get back to it. And I'd like to think, Gary, I took it seriously, right? Yeah. But but why? Why did I? It's because I was in a I was in a place of not existential crisis, but I needed a break. And um, entrepreneurs today have it too good. Yeah. You know, you, you know what you know what I'm saying? The best entrepreneurial stories are when people needed to succeed. That, that grit, that, the grit that... It's uh, that survival instinct. Sur- it's, exactly. Through, through all these years of being on Earth, our mind, w- there's a different level of consciousness that is triggered when you have mm-hmm. to survive. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's a, the reason behind it, at least in, at least what I think, is because I think when you, you, you hear about what an entrepreneur is, everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur in some way, you know. It, the, it's the such work, a slang. It's, it's so, it's so diluted term. now. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's, um, oh, I'm an entrepreneur Penor. flipping yeah. dollars. No, you're not. You don't, you don't do anything. You work for Amway. Like, you're not. You don't do anything. So, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, so, perspective. Okay, so when, I, so when I met you, you'd already been supported by a couple of great people. Yeah, Foster so you, so you talked a couple people into uh, why this, eight, this punk eighteen-year-old yeah. kid, how, why why he, why he was he was he was responsible enough to take on some money from a couple of good people. Tell me about those couple people. Yeah, and one was Foster Freeze, who really wrote us our first check, ten thousand dollars. I met him in a stairwell at the Republican convention, and I gave Imagine him this. I gave him my stairwell pitch, not my <laughs> elevator pitch. Wrote me a ten thousand dollar check, and now he's a multi-million dollar donor to us to this day. But um, he believe, and here's what's so important that people have to realize: it doesn't matter if you're building a business that's in paving or in finance, technology, food. You have to paint a vision. Mm-hmm. And, and, and look, look, Apple does not sell phones; they just don't. Yeah. I mean, people don't get it. Apple sells a lifestyle. They Absolutely. sell, they sell simplicity. They sell connectivity, efficiency. Just yeah. look at this design. I'm holding up an iPhone that people can't see this. I mean, look, look. It's just so sleek. It's so beautiful. It's almost as if you feel like you're entering a different dimension, and it's a reflection of who you are. That's what Apple sells. Yeah, yeah. They sell, they sell creating the future. So, I, I, so, so tell me, how do you sell so, Foster? So I'll, I'll, I'll use a couple other examples. Starbucks yeah, does not sell coffee. They just don't. They, they sell a vehicle for you to achieve what you want to achieve through energy or through fulfillment mm-hmm. or through your favorite customizable um, you know, drink. So every, every one of these major brands, from Howard Schultz to Steve Jobs, even though I don't agree with some of them, may he rest in peace, some of their politics, they, they painted a vision. So I painted a vision from day one, which is, I want to save America through our youth and the left is winning. That's essentially what I said. And that we are losing our country. Say it, say it slower again, one more time. I want to save America through my generation and the left is winning essentially the bad guys the people that want to destroy america from within the people that that embrace socialism the people that don't believe in free market capitalism they are making huge strides and i believe the way to save america is through our students and our college campuses Mm -hmm. and for investors and donors that are very well read and read the wall street journal and watch fox they hear that sentence and they say that makes sense because that's confirmation of everything I've been reading and I see happening. My granddaughter is getting indoctrinated at Wesleyan. My you know, son-in-law is spewing out leftist talking points. And all of a sudden, all these different data points that were put in these investors' heads, 
this this is exactly what is needed. Absolutely. And then they see then they get to know me and they say, okay, he has energy, he has spunk, he has grit. Here's ten thousand dollars. And for Foster Freeze, that's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's not that for him it was a seed it was a seed capital mm-hmm. essentially. And I told them I'm not going to do anything except be able to build a website and just be able to fill up my you know, tank with gas. And he said, well, at least it'll keep you around for another six months. <laughs> That's essentially what he said. That's what the money was for, hmm. was to be able just to keep you going, just enough oxygen, just to, yeah. to keep the, the enterprise. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and, but you know what I'm so thankful for, for Foster? I'm so thankful it wasn't a $100,000 check. I'm thankful it wasn't, a, and it could have been, by yes. the way. Yes. I mean, Foster is one of the most amazing people God put on this earth. Mm-hmm. Self-made, um, I don't know his net worth, but near billionaire people have described it yeah. in many different ways. Um, started from nothing in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, and ended up starting the Brandewine Fund, one of the most successful uh, growth-oriented mutual fund operators in the country, and sold it for a very, very, very big dollar. And so he's all in, he's in the stock picking business, but he knew that too much money would have corrupted my mission. Mm-hmm. That he's like, no, I want him to still fight for another six yeah. months. You know, it took me a year and a half to get a check over fifty thousand dollars. And that's another important thing to remember that for the investor side of this is that you find a mentor, don't don't go all in. You know, don't you might go all in mentally and spiritually and emotionally, but financially it can really corrupt mm-hmm. a young entrepreneur very quickly. And I'm I'm so thankful for the first two, three years. You remember Gary, I'd come into this very office mm-hmm. and you'd write a five thousand dollar check and that was great. That that's what kept this going. So and so yeah so so when when I met you was, you had you had uh, Mike Miller also that's bit, right was oh, amazing guy. amazing guy yeah and he really took us under his wing in a very big way yeah so yeah. It, was, it was Mike Miller Foster Freeze really before I met you right that's right yeah so it was it was Bill Montgomery Foster Freeze Mike Miller and then Gary Rabine and Gary was a catalyst and so when you look at the stories of the great entrepreneurs of today of the great companies there's always a catalyst always which is you have these pieces in place and then you have someone that just comes around along and takes it all to the next level. Says, I'm going to connect you with five people. And that's what Gary was. Gary got me down to Palm Beach, which brought me to Allie Hanley. Gary was just someone that was just a constant also source of energy and belief. Like, wow. Yeah. Maybe I can do this. You know? <laughs> well, you know, I, the, the cool thing was though, when you, you know, so I had an, I had a event. I was, I was a chairman for, I was a chair for a person running for sheriff in McHenry County, Bill Prim. Yeah. Great guy, wanted him to win, and, and uh, we, we didn't know if we could win. It was a no-name, right? So I, I, I had to have a big event. So at my club of Bull Valley, I had, I had what I thought a pretty big event. It's I a had beautiful a, club, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We got we to gotta play some golf out there once in a while. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <so> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, bottom line is we're going to have this great event and, and uh, to raise some money for Bill Prim. And so, so I had a friend of mine that knew uh, New Gingrich. New Gingrich, so I called New Gingrich, told him our story of why we really believe this. It was very important for this this man to win as sheriff of McHenry County. He believed the story, charged us almost nothing to come out there. Amazing. You know, get, get me a car, pay for a hotel room that night, Gary, and, and my wife and I will come out. We, we've got a little bit of time. We'll come out for an hour or so. They were there for like four hours. But the best thing that happened of all is this young man comes up to me, tall, tall, lanky guy, and uh, looks like he's yeah, you know 17, 18, and it turns out he's 19. And he and he says, Mr. Raven, I, I want to meet you. I want to I want to talk to you about uh, this vision I have, this organization I have, and 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 what I think I could do to change America. 
And I said, wow, yeah, that, that's, a big, that's a big deal, Charlie, but I don't have time right now. If you want to wait till everybody leaves tonight, I'll sit down with you afterwards. So I think it was like 12.30 or waited, something like yeah. that. 12.30 to like 2.30. I think it was a couple hours we sat down, and, and, and Charlie gave me his vision. I asked a lot of questions with Bill at his side, Bill filling in all the – you know, Bill bragging, right? right? Bill is awesome <laughs> at doing the bragging that Charlie won't do about who Charlie is and how he got to be who he is at a young age. But, uh, but the, the, what you gave me was the vision of changing what, what I saw on the college campuses. And, you know, myself, I worked really hard to be able to, to, be able to afford to send my kids to college, right? Three kids of mine, had all, all, all but one were through college. One, Jordan, was just going go to go into law school at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and all three of them were, were calling me, calling me come, coming home for vacation, saying, Dad, you wouldn't believe the argument I had today with a, or, you know, yesterday or, or today with a professor. And they would tell me that, that the arguments they'd have about, about free enterprise versus, versus the, the, the position that this professor took on business and entrepreneurship and, 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 and the social, socialized systems and all that. And, and, and so they had, they, they, I was just bothered by the message that all, almost all these professors were pushing on them, right? I, I mean, here we'd build these businesses, had all these issues and challenges, my wife and I, in growing these businesses. We, we've, we've been, we were able to afford to send our kids to colleges. Yep. We're so excited about that, right, because my wife and I didn't go. And, and, and yet they're, they're getting twisted with this message that was totally against our fabric. And so when you came to me, I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is exactly what this country needs. I'm, I'm, I was so excited about it and so psyched up about it. And, and, I, and I'd listened to lots of visionaries and lots of, lots of entrepreneurs at looking for me to invest in a little business here or there. And I've, and I've invested in many businesses, as you know. And, and when, I, when I'd hear these, these the visions and, and their, their, basically their execution plans, there they was either no execution or the execution was very weak. But you came to me with a plan that had a great vision, amazing vision, an execution plan that I'd never heard as clear, especially from a 19-year-old kid, right? So, it, so I was like, okay. You're going to get there. We just need to figure out a way to get some money in your pocket, dude. So meet me in my office next week. I remember that. We were, met right here. You're sitting exactly where you're sitting right now, yeah. and, and, you're, and, and we're figuring out who we can talk to about this message, how you can shorten the message in the elevator so it's quicker. And then I said, I, I'll get you in front of a bunch of friends of mine, and they're all people that have, have, have gained their wealth through this free enterprise system and believe in it like I do. And sure enough, you went out and talked to every, every one, one of them. Of them. And, and most all of them gave you something. And, and Whether it be 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks. And some of them now are 100,000 plus dollar donors. I'm not going to say any names on the podcast, yeah. but you know who I'm talking yes, about. Yes, exactly. Guys that started as $1,000 donors right. are now give us $100,000 plus annual a year. Yes. It's yes. amazing. And, that, and then I was, then I was uh, Q, I was asked by, by uh, Bernie Marcus to come and speak at our first annual summit at Job Creators Network, an organization that I was one of the, one of the, one of the original board members of. I still you, am today. You pushed me through, though. And, and Bernie that was a Bernie, square peg through round hole. Bernie thing. was not too confident that a 19-year-old kid would be a very good speaker at our at our first annual summit where we're going to have some big, big uh, entrepreneurs and super successful people, politicians, yeah. all at this this event. And I said, Bernie, I said I, I can speak like as you want me to about my rags to riches story, but uh, I got a kid that I, that I'm mentoring right now that could, would be a way better story than mine, and I really want to get him in front of you and about and all these other people. And Bernie goes, Come on, Gary, a 19-year-old kid? Are you kidding me? He, I said, I'm going to send you a video of Charlie. You let me know. So sure enough, a couple hours later, talked to Bernie. Bernie said, all right, send the kid, Gary. He can talk the second day. You're still speaking the first day. <laughs> so sure enough, a couple months later, there's Charlie in front of some of the biggest business leaders in, in the world, in the world, right? And, and up there talking like he's talking to a bunch of friends, right? Yeah. And, and, and with a clear, clear vision. And after that, it was amazing, the, 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 uh, the support that, that you, know, Al, you know, Bernie Marcus, Allie Hanley, right? so many great people believe yeah. in this vision like I did. And I was like so excited that 
that other people saw the same thing I saw in Charlie, right? The opportunity to at least at least have a challenging mindset in college campus across America. And 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 the vision that Charlie had back then, it, w- it was it was going to take longer than it's taken so far, Charlie. You're way beyond what, oh, what yeah. your vision we're, we're was. Oh yeah, way ahead of schedule. All right, but but doesn't mean we're going to we're going to slow down, man. We're we're going to speed it. You're going to speed it up. That's I know right. you are. Sorry, sorry about that. But that that's that's my my por- you know, portion of the story. So Charlie, let me actually. So I mean, I currently at the moment, you know, you again, you said 20 million in a, you know, which is an amazing for a nonprofit. I think, or, or if you think about any business, um, a, a person who has a startup, right? They're looking for people to invest into them, whether it be you know, a venture capitalist mm-hmm. or would depend on what type of uh, business that they have. Do you have a systematic way of like, okay, well, you know, like you already talked about vision and how to yeah. promote it and how to articulate it. What about some other things where you have done where you know for sure if I just go down this road, this is a way I'm able to get not only get in front of somebody like Gary or the Bernie Marcuses, but then I can have them invest in me so I then I can grow a business to X, Y, and Z. Because I think a lot of people are different. They're having a hard time with their pitch. And I think that would be a good way of kind of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, nothing sells like results sell. And that was, I mean, people are starting to finally, the people, the skeptics on Turning Point, I think most of them have come, that Gary and I know in our world, um, where where they were, oh, I don't know about this. you have to be able to deliver a product. So in the business world, if you're looking for seed capital or you're looking for a loan or you're looking for, um, you know, whatever it might be, you have to come up with a number. And this is a, this is a tolerance number. And so what's, how much am I willing to risk? How much am I willing to leverage? How much am I willing to extend myself? And really what you're doing is you're testing, how much do I believe in this idea and myself? That's really the question you're asking. Um, to get to get to a place where I can produce better results, produce enough results to win the confidence of people over. It's a very, everyone has a different answer mm-hmm. to this question. Everybody does. Now, for me, for Charlie at Turning Point, I was cool running the bank account down to two hundred dollars a month for the first two years. That no, most people would never do that. Ever, ever, ever yeah. do that. And he's like, yeah, you know, we have six hundred dollars in our account. We're good. <laughs> Why? Because I start at zero to one. That was the beauty of it. Most people, oh, whoa, 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 I, I'm not going to do that. I have a mortgage. I have this. That's why it's the best time to take the risk is when you have nothing. You have no liabilities. You have no student debt. Nothing. So you go down to zero. You still where you were, but you have experience and wisdom. And so the question you have to ask, let's say you're, let's say I make a seatbelt company. Okay. And I'm trying to get investors to believe in it. It's the special seatbelt and everyone loves it. But ba, 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 I need a million dollars in seed capital. And you know your investors say, I, I don't know, I just don't see the sales, I don't see it. No, no, you don't understand. It's gonna be like the my pillow of seatbelts. It's the greatest <laughs> seatbelt ever. We're gonna da 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 da. I don't know. So then all of a sudden you have a question, right? Because you're gonna be met with skepticism, of which I was met with. And so you know what I said? No, I'm gonna prove all these guys. We're gonna build an organization. We have chapters that, that I'm gonna come back to them in a year, and they will write a check. And the people that do believe in me, I'm gonna grow closer to. I'm going to really ask for their continued, like Gary, continued connections and confidence, and we're gonna grow. And so the seatbelt example, then you have to go back and say, all right, am I willing to borrow a bunch of money to go do this? Am I willing to put my own money into it in my own time? The answer is most people will say no. And they'll walk away from that, that, that idea. And maybe that's the right answer, by the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the right answer not to do it. Sure. But most businesses are made or break, they make or break nine to 18 months down the runway. It's really fun three months in when you have this wonderful idea and all your friends want to see it. Then it gets hard, and then you have partners that are, you know, there's a schism with partners, and there's employee backlash, and all this sort of. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. But then, then, the, the, then you have to make a decision of how much do I actually believe in the idea and myself, 
And the answer is most entrepreneurs never go through that honest introspection, actually. They, they just, and <clears throat> find me one successful business that did not go through a period of trial. It's impossible, impossible. And this is what really upsets me about some of these Instagram entrepreneurs. Oh yeah, it's like the entrepreneur lifestyle, you know, rise and grind. Well, no, <laughs> it sounds great until you have to fire eight people in one day, until you have to go through a lawsuit, until you have to borrow, you know, $100,000 to keep yourself from, you know, make payroll. Yeah. Then it's not as glamorous, but uh, it, take, it takes a lot of character to get through it. Well, some, something you said, Charlie, and, and I think was, is very important in, in growing any business. If, you, if you're looking for investors, if you need investment, whether it's a bank or investors or partners, whatever, you know, creating a, metrics that, are, that, that you can visualize, that, that, that the investor can visualize, right? Mm -hmm. Or you, you visualize, visualize uh, you know, the, the metrics needed for success. And you did a very, you've done a very good job with it. You continue to, sure. right? I and, mean, and, here, and here's how many better over time. Here's how many chapters we're going to have in the in the in this first year. Sure. Here's what we're going to have in year five, and and these here's what these chapters. Are I think be we're getting better for. at that. Yeah, getting better and better and better at that, right? Your 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 metrics just recently are just awesome. Thank I mean, you. really gives us a vision of where we're going, and that, and that's so important for the investors. If they don't have that, they're not in, man. They're not. They're just not going to. They're not going to spend the time and energy and their and their 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 their, their life's you know, uh, works to invest in you, right? Right, and, and so in the nonprofit space specifically, you're dealing with two, basically two different types of investors. You're dealing with um, right brain and left brain, which people that are highly, highly analytical, people that wanna see the numerical success and the metrics, that's one way. And then you also are dealing with people that are more emotive. And they're less of those types of people, but they want to hear the story. They want to hear the why. Well, okay, Charlie, the chapter's fine. Well, tell me why you're doing what you're doing. And mm -hmm. that's important, though, because actually the analytical people also want to know the why, but they get it. They're, okay, I got it. But show me the how. Show me the what. Mm -hmm. And so, But you have to be able to combine those things. And a nonprofit, that's really hard. It's really hard. Um, but if you're able to do that and constantly be able to create excitement around what you're doing, um, that's, that's one of the things we've been able to do. And also just deliver results. And this, this is the thing, Charlie, Charlie, he's like, Charlie, what's your secret sauce? You must be so good at selling. Well, I mean, it's really two big things is I, we deliver excellence to our investors. We, deli we, we exceed expectations. We host the biggest conferences. We produce results. It's not like we have like magic vapor and you do these shows. And the other thing is I'm relentless and everyone on our team is relentless. I mean, you know this, Gary. I mean, how many texts do you get from me? Just boom, boom. Yeah. And it's just, it is in an emails. And it's not we're trying to be annoying. There's a difference between being relentless and, it, and annoying. And it could be as many at, at midnight or two o'clock in the morning as there are at four o'clock in the afternoon from this guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And our yeah. whole, and, our oh, whole yeah. and, and you kind of, you see our team has started to embrace that, <laughs> you know? And um, the, the other thing that CEOs have to realize is that your team will only act as good as the CEO will act. Mm -hmm. If you go out and drink with them, they're gonna go out and drink. You know, if you go exactly. out and start telling lies, they're gonna tell, tell lies. The, the, uh, the moral relativity is so, it, in corporate culture, it is unlike anything I've ever seen. Everyone, yeah, everyone judges themselves based on the behavior of the CEO, everyone. So if the CEO does it or the leader does it, they think it's okay to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, your values are so important, Charlie. And, you, and I, know, I know your values and, that, and you, you adhere to them in a, in a way that's amazing for a young guy oh, to thank do. Thank you. And, and in our business, guess what? It took us about 20 years, Charlie, to figure that out. That, hey, God, you know, 
I was kind of inconsistent, you know, as a, as a young hillbilly guy, kind of started my business and, and, you know, pretty rough and swearing a lot and, 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 and having wrestling contests at, at every time we have a break waiting for trucks, we're having a takedown contest, right? And not a good thing for safety. I mean, you know, we just were not the best company to work for, right? But we didn't know better. It took me about 20 years to understand the importance of a moral compass and, and what, 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 it, what it, you know, values mean, and right? Ethics. Core values yes. and ethics mean. So important. And, and people discount it and they shrug their shoulders. Your business will fail. But you started off with that. You started well, off with that because you saw success in businesses and, and nonprofits, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing, and, and right? to your credit, Gary, and to Mike Miller's credit and Bill's credit, I had no choice. I mean, I was at such a place of vulnerability that in the nonprofit world versus the business world, you, you, have, you have to earn the trust of people. In the mm-hmm. business world, you can, bl- you can be initially blind to your customer. In, in essence, if you're running a restaurant, not everyone's going to be able to see. They're not, they're not investing in the owner. Mm-hmm. They're investing in the product. Then, of course, the reflection of the owner. But in the nonprofit, in the early stages, no, no, no. Who is this kid? Absolutely. Tell me about him. And so I had no choice but to be ethical. Absolutely. It's and cool. I made mistakes. I'm not. Everyone makes mistakes. I'm not trying to say I was a perfect person. But more times than not, we had to be you know, abiding by core values. Yeah, Quentin's got the same thing going on. Quentin is a guy that's been, right from the start, had great core values. He's already had a great moral compass. It's been kind of easy for him to be who took me 20 years to be. It's been kind of easy for you, right? I mean, I think he's got some good people around him. Uh, you know, the, the Ed Zemans of the world, and many of you know, uh, the you know, the, you know, Dean, yeah. Dean Vickas of yeah, the world. Great, great uh, people. Uh, we've got great people around him, right? That that he's friends with, that he's he's working with it for mentors and mentees, yeah. right? But but he's looked upon as as the brand, right? Quentin, not me. Quentin's the, the brand of that or that nonprofit. So just like you, Charlie, he's he's kind of gotten it early on, and it's, well, it's and, and here's success. something I learned in the summer of 2016. And someone told me this back way many years ago. So I'll fast forward the story. We grow, we grow, we grow. And you're a moving average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep. And people hear this against a lot of, I'm not saying anything new, but it's repetition is the soul of memory. And, and so this is, this is so hard for young entrepreneurs to do is they want to still hang out with people that are mediocre. Mm-hmm. And they just can't dis- detach themselves from their community or from their sometimes their family that are that are really engaging in in the exercise of low expectations. Mm-hmm. And so this was something I learned in 2016. And I, I, without even realizing it, is that I was I was engaging myself with really good people throughout the years, and I was becoming more and more like them. And then in 2016, I realized that I could do even more. And that's when I met Gentry Beach, and I met Donald Trump Jr., and I got involved in the Trump campaign, but. I thought I was working hard until I met them. I really did. And that's, that's where Turning Point went from a $3 million organization now a $20 million organization in two years. Mm-hmm. Two years. Yeah. So how do you write that exponential formula? How do you write that? Well, it's the founder or CEO going from traveling 100 days on the road to 345 days on the road. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's not going to Char- happen by... Charlie is basically homeless, just so you know. Yeah, th- this <laughs> is the, one of the few days I'm home. And then... Finding enjoyment in throughout all of that, and then reinserting discipline back into your life, which I can get back into things that I do every day that you know keep incorporate, you, dis- yeah, yeah, which keep you sane, keep yeah, your absolutely. keep your chemicals um, in balance, balance for the most yes, part. Yes, that's right. right. Um, which I, I'm a big believer that your physical, your, your your mental is a reflection of your physical. So you work out a lot. Well, every day I run. I, running is the most pure form of exercise back to our ancestors. It's the only thing they had. They didn't have weight rooms. They didn't have anything. Just running in a straight line is something that is very, very cleansing. It's not, they say it's not good for your knees, but 
um, still, it's it, it's the it's one of the only things that really clears my head and is able to. And the, besides the physical side of it, which obviously has its, its benefits, but it really centers me. But anyway, in the summer of 2016, I met you know Gentry Beach, and I remember I met Don Jr. I'll never forget. We landed in uh, New Orleans, and um, Gentry was making calls, raising money for the Trump campaign. You've met Gentry; he's a high energy well, guy. I love Gentry. He's, he's one of the greatest guy. guys. He reminds me of you, just a great he's... spirit. I think God put certain spirits just to help others, and Gary's one of them, and Gentry's another. And just full of love, Gentry got done with a call, and he looked over me. He said, "What are you doing, Charlie?" "I don't know. I'm just..." Like, "No, why are you not working right now? What's preventing <laughs> you from right now from calling three donors and raising money?" Mm. I said, what? I, He's, 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 if you want to be, if you want to be excellent, you have to you have to work like it. And 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 then he just went and made another call. And you know that kind of like slap in your face. Wow, that I didn't think about that. Yeah. And so every second had to be maximized. And you know obviously there's you have to rest. I understand all of that. I'm not saying never rest. But there I was. I was in a car. It was a day. It was a work day. I could have been calling somebody. I could have been doing something. Mm-hmm. I could have been being useful. Instead, I, I wasn't. And, um, and Gentry was embodying that. And so then I became more like him. And then I said, well, am I really doing everything I can to bring turning points to the highest level? And um, I was like, no, I'm not. And so then I made a pledge in 2017, last year, to travel 300 days, and I did. And then I, and I said, well, why didn't I travel every day? Why, why am I not always working? What's preventing me? And then I did this year, and and so we're gonna do more in 2019. So, so Gen- we, one of these days we gotta get Gentry on this. Gen- Gentry, oh, he's the best. Gentry and I have been trying to get together. I'm trying to get to, to Dallas, and I've he's, got other. I have another business in Dallas. My partner Nick is in Dallas. One of our other Ditch Digger CEOs, and uh, but Gentry is building uh, with huge business. He's building uh, vertical farms next to distribution centers. Oh, uh, it's a huge Wal- Walmart in Dallas area is the first. Think about this. He's gonna be growing vegetables right next to the Dugon. Distribution center. Well, and, and, and this so is how something. So how much more fresh is that fruit going to be when mm-hmm. it gets in your, on your table? And so home? this is something that Gary has and Gentry has, which every CEO has to listen to this, is that if you're not a spirit of optimism and you're not a spirit of that I can get it done, then don't get involved in the business making business. You just don't. If you're if you're someone to go be a lawyer or an accountant, like that's what they do, okay? Being a structure that's going to control your 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 no, work. No, I mean yeah. Your, if you're about delivering bad news or finding something wrong with something, <laughs> go be a lawyer. That, that's what they do, okay? They, they lawyers kill deals, by the way. They really do. Absolutely. And, and but if you if but if you see something, wow, a great building would be here. A great business. This is this is the thing for you. This is the country for you. Yeah. And Gary is like that. And Gentry is like that, and Foster Freeze is like that, and Bill Montgomery, Mike Miller. You see the kind of the commonality. Yeah. It's just the spirit of, of creation, and and it's I'm going to do something good in the world. That's what an entrepreneur really is. And how much of that is stunted? How much of that is stunted if we have if we have? Oh, I mean, people, I could talk we, about this all the time. If we have professors and teachers, I mean, and I could people talk about saying the, the culture of it, which quit, is you know, quit dreaming. You dream too much. Oh, You're a dreamer. Of course, but just it, another and, dreamer. And this is a book I'd love to get kind of your help on Gary and some of the chapters, which is essentially the joke is everyone gets a trophy. Right? Mm-hmm. So this is sure. the, the joke that everyone talk can relate to. But it, it, essentially it's the left's war, it's the left's decades long war on hierarchies. And, so, and, and if I really had to boil down why the left hates America, it, it's the idea that every country will have mediocrity forever. America's actually always gonna have some form of mediocre people. Mm-hmm. Every country will. Very few countries, if only a couple, will ever have excellence. Excellence is not widespread. Mediocrity is. Mediocrity and just being subpar, you'll, you'll find it all over the world. Mm-hmm. You'll find it all across Europe. You'll find it in Asia. But being excellent is very, very hard to find. Now, what creates excellence? You have to have a, you have to have a place where that is rewarded and, it, and, and 
and you say that person is better at math than that person. Okay, so you have a relative grading structure, right? And you and you you celebrate it. You don't bring the other person down and say you're bad at math. You just say this person's the better at it. So you have you have you have exercises of achievement. So from a young age, we're getting rid of those. So this is the the, the left's decades war, decades long war on, on uh, culture uh, on hierarchies, and so and sports the same way. This team is better than this team. Okay, we're getting rid of that. Um, you have homecoming king and homecoming queen. We're getting rid of that. You see, we're getting rid of grades in some of these schools. No, we really are. So yeah, do you it, see all these like very very troubling cultural but, but if, indicators? And if you think about these things, Charlie and, and Q, when you're when you're when you're young, there's things you're not going to be good at, and there's some things that you want to get better at. You don't yes. want to lose anymore at that. That's right. So you're going to work your butt off, study whatever it takes to get better but, at that, so you become the winner instead of loser. But when you think about it, it's being dishonest though. If you're trying to say everyone is the same at everything, well, that's being dishonest. You're lying to the society. You're lying to the culture. You're stunting progress. Come totally. On. And, and so the final thing about hierarchies is that some people are game changers, and you need to find those people. And so it's, it, it is finding the 1% of the 1% that are the Gary Rabines, that are the Bernie Marcuses, that are the Ed Zemans. And what if, what if they're to being told to be employees right now? That's a broken culture. If you really look what drives a culture forward and drives a country, it's a collection of about three to 4,000 people. That sounds really elitist, but it's true. Three to 4,000 people will make or break a culture in math, in science, in art, in technology, and uh, finance, and business. Those are the people that will come up with the great patent that will change the world. Those are the people that will start the great business that will modernize America. And it might be more than that, might be three to 4,000, but the, the, the social, science, social psychologists say it's really 1% of half of 1%, um, which is a super small group of people. Um, we need to find them. We need to groom them. And those people will do nothing but good for humanity. Nothing but good. And the, and the, and the, and the job that we have, in my opinion, Charlie, I mean, you're a young dude, man. I'm getting, I'm getting up there. But the rest of my life, I want to find those people to inspire others. Totally. So, that, so it's triple, quadruple, whatever it is. So you, us three at this, at this table right now can find those. So there's so many more that will aspire to be like them, right, instead of the alternative well, and, where you don't know who they are. And there's so many great examples of them. To, I mean, and let's just think of one that, be non I mean, Bernie Marcus is a great example, non-controversial. Like, yeah, who's absolutely. getting harmed by Home Depot? I mean, this is a guy that had fa failed, quote-unquote, many times in his <laughs> life, started the business yep. in his 50s, now has a multi-multi-billion dollar company. He's worth many billions. He's given away way, way more money than, he, I mean, than he's, than he's, he's given worth. He's given 50-plus percent of his net worth away and will give away almost all of it to his foundation by the time he's... Looking and um, in, in investing in only sustainable things will go on way beyond him, right? It's amazing. And so... What an awesome story. But I want to find the next thousand Bernie Marcuses in the next hundred years. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we creating a country where that is possible? And the answer right now is no. The answer is no is that we are on a path that the next Bernie Marcus will become, you know, he'll, he'll be just become an employee, yeah. not an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. That's well, not okay. And, 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 I, and we talked about this before. Um, you know, I've been to Israel a couple times recently, it's right? A lovely country. And Israel is doing exactly, has been doing exactly what you're saying, Charlie, for the last 30, 40 years, right? I mean, it was, it was a goal they had 40, 50 years ago. And when a few leaders in, in academia, actually, came out of academia and said, we need to groom the best CEOs for the future of our, not of our world so that our country could be stronger economically 
and 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 defend. We can defend our borders stronger than because we're in Huge. we're in in the middle well, of evil. They're in their surrounded opinions. by people that hate them. That hate them, right? So what do they do? They've done it. I mean, that this this uh, you know the startup nation is there, and and there's a couple a couple Nobel Peace Prize winners. One I got to know recently, and he was one of the people that were behind this movement. It's amazing, right? So so think about what they've done. This small tiny country of four million people. To, to be the second in the world in innovation and in, in CEOs that lead lead Fortune 500 it's companies amazing. in technology companies, right? Second only to the to America, and and, and it, with a population of four million instead of what we had 330 million. Yep. Just so again, that. we need to think like exactly like you just said, Charlie. And it's exactly like they thought 40, 50 years ago, all over again. And if we can do that, and, and, and we'll, the, we'll continue. The, the to left hates that. Is it a very elitist way to think? Oh, that yeah. somehow some person should be able to reap benefit more than others? No, Jonas Salk did good for humanity. He did good for humanity. He should be appreciated that. He essentially ended polio, okay? Mm -hmm. That's one person that did good. Albert Einstein did good for humanity. Okay, Jesse Owens did good for humanity. Martin Luther King did good for humanity. Thomas, Thomas Edison did a few good things, yeah, too. Yeah, and so did Nikola Tesla, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they had Tesla, a little yeah. bit of a, you know, falling out. A little falling out. Um, <laughs> minor. But the point being is that if you look at history, history is made by few game changers. They really are, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and America has always been the place where those game changers can convene and they take risk. And the other part of why, why we're the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world, the greatest culture ever and will be the greatest culture, no one will ever create anything close to it, is that we have this the, the notion and it's, we take it so for granted is try, try, try. If you try and fail, try again. No other country has that. Mm -hmm. If you fail in France, you're considered a failure. Like go away, <laughs> go, you know. But we have the most forgivable bankruptcy laws. We have, we have the most, we have a culture where if you fail, we don't say, oh, you're a horrible person. Like, oh, well, what are you doing next? You know, what, what do you got cooking? So, so the, some it's of the, a beautiful thing. So, so again, I'll go to this. Some of the greatest, you know, CEOs and chairmen of companies that operate companies. So we, we operate a bunch of small companies here, right? And for, for me, I've learned this lesson and I, and I love this, this concept. Some of the greatest of, of people in, in the shoes of me and, and people much, in much bigger roles than me say, I want somebody that's failed, that's, that's been there, done it, failed, got their teeth kicked in, that got up again, got up again, and, and had some, some success. Doesn't have to be huge success, but they had to be beat up and, and, and they had to stand up again and go forward, right? And, and that's a big, a big prerequisite for some of my, 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 my mentors that I look upon to hire people, right? They want somebody smart, passionate, right? But, you know, hardworking, gritty, right? But somebody that's lost and got back up, and that's one of the prerequisites yep. of, of, of a successful leader. That's been leader. rejected. That has yeah. had has had to go through adversity. And many and many people don't look at it. They want somebody successful well, that's only been successful. And going going back to the culture side of it, the way that we're raising our students is we're insulating them from adversity. We're insulating them from hard hardship, whether it be no grades or um, the safe the safe space nonsense or therapists around every corner. Or you know, and some of it was rooted in good reform. Not all of it, which is which was built birthed out of the the self-esteem movement, which is a bunch of nonsense. The self-esteem movement has done more to destroy America than anything else, and I can get into that in a little bit. But it's the anti-bullying movement, and bullying is a real thing. And but the the right way to confront bullying is not telling everyone they're great. You're great. You're great. That's only led in rise of suicides. It's to isolate the bully, and to 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 stand up for yourself. That's the only way to handle bullying. The only way. The self-esteem movement, which all of you know, started in the mid-1990s by these crackpot psychologists said, well, the problem is students don't think highly of themselves. Well, the, prob the, the reason was not because we weren't telling them they were the greatest thing in the world. The problem is that in the 60s and 70s, they had to go up and get to work when they were eight years old. 
And, and, and their parents that just fought in World War II was like, no, you're going to mow the lawn. You're not going to watch TV unless I tell you. That's where self-esteem came from. Yeah. Not that saying you're the greatest thing ever. I just think you're so great. Yeah, get out and earn some money. We need some more money on the table. Yes. You know, 12-year-old So that's kid. why you've seen suicide go up so much. And that's why you've seen self-esteem actually go down as we've tried to make it go up. And so now the self-esteem movement has turned into the softening movement. It's gone even worse, which is students can't feel anything. Don't let them feel anything that's bad. No bad imagery, no bad words. You can't read any bad books. You have to insulate themselves. So it creates this unbelievably soft generation that's offended by everything. Everything, no matter what it is, the, the song "Baby It's Cold Outside." Oh my gosh, it's a, it's a, it's a rape <laughs> song or something, right? It's just so crazy. And, and and so, what kind of a culture does that create? Well, it's a very, very, very soft culture, and mm-hmm. it, even worse, it's an unhappy one. Because value in life, you think about it, Gary. What gives you the most fulfillment? Probably your relationship with God and your church, your family, your kids. But what what, what do all those things take? It take responsibility, though. You can't be a member of your church without being responsible. Being accountable. Being accountable, showing up on time, tithing. You can't be a member of your family if you aren't responsible or else they'll say, ah, get out of here, you're never, you're never around, right? And that's the kind of accountability matrix that exists sure. in families. I'll also had the digni- dignity to work, right? Whether, whether it's that's me, responsibility. you know, paving driveways early on, I felt so good about bringing money home and, and, and knowing I could support my, support my wife and my family. And, 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 and today it's still the dignity to work, coming to work and getting things done, right? And seeing progress and, and serving, serving our customers, serving our employees, right? That's fun. That's, that's, that, that's always going to drive me. And, right? and, and so what's really, and I know we're getting into the culture philosophy of it, but I think this is really interesting. What's driving it is that the left thinks that um, we must insulate students from all sorts of bad things, but then also parents should not have any input in their student's life, that you must let them discover the world for themselves. No, that's like the stupidest <laughs> idea ever. You are an adult because you've been through hardship. You actually know well. You have to teach your kid this is good, this is bad, stop, no. That you have to teach your kids that. Yeah. The left wants, oh no, let the, let the kids discover the world for themselves. Yeah, teachers will teach them all that. That's what they're for, right? Yeah, yeah, dro- let, drop let, them off at school, yeah, the culture will come off the col- You know what the culture <laughs> teaches them? That there is no God, that hard work is bad, that responsibility comes from unlimited freedom. When I mean, uh, happiness comes from unlimited freedom. Happiness and fulfillment comes from responsibility. Right, responsibility absolutely. is hard. It really is. But that's where fulfillment will come from. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is why you've seen the rise in unhappiness and suicide rates in the West in the last 20, 30 years. But yeah. that's, a, that's a deeper question. Cool. So. so what's next for, for Charlie Kirk and Tony? Oh, I mean, I, I always hate that question, but... Um, yeah, okay, well, wait, look, let's look at like, I mean, it gonna... this way. I mean, the questions I asked you six years ago, right, were, were you know, tell me about this vision, Charlie. Where are you going, man? You're, here's where you're at now. Yeah. Where are you going? Where are you going to be in five years? And, and, and I mean this. I, What's it I, look like? I don't even think we're 5% of the way there. Oh, I agree. And um, we're just getting started. And, and it, it's hard for me to materialize and visualize the vision vocally right now, but I mean, winning the American culture war, what does that mean? Well, I'd love to live in a country where you can't predict someone's political affiliation based on skin color. That would be awesome. Mm, I'd love to live in a country where large in part of citizens, you can almost predict that they say, yeah, we live in a great country. That would be great. Mm-hmm. I want people to be thankful they live in America, not angry they live in America. Now, I understand these are kind of esoteric gains, but there's metrics that will get us there. Understand, mm-hmm. there's thousands of chapters will help us get us there. Yeah. I want us to be a country that, um, that again, respects that, that people have differences inherently, but we don't, we don't ostracize those differences, but we, we celebrate them. And it's not just linguistic differences or cultural ones, but it's also just that, well, this person's really good at art and this person's really good at math. 
And it actually doesn't matter what they look like. It matters about their character. I want to be a country that judges character, not skin color. We're getting away from that. Yeah. We're getting away from that. Uh, and so anyway, that, that's what success really looks like. And so I'm involved in a culture where people say, Charlie, you run a political organization. I really don't. I mean, Gary, you were there for four days. Did you hear one person say, go vote Republican? No, absolutely not. You didn't hear one person that say, oh, we have to go get the GOP back in power? No. It's about culture. And culture, as you define culture, the great civilizations of the world, whether it be the Indians, the Chinese, the Romans, they all screwed it up at some point because they lost the idea of a culture. And the, only, the, 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 the country or the empire that had it for a little bit was the Roman Republic. They actually got it right mm -hmm. for a little bit. And then they screwed it up. They went to a full autocracy and it ended up being their downfall. Why? Because the people lost what it meant to be Roman, which was to tell the truth, was to pursue excellence, which was the spirit of... So why, so why being this American thing is kind of important, right? Be, to oh, be yes. proud of who we are as That's Americans right. is kind and, of an important what thing. Ma what, makes, what makes America so different is that we're the only culture in the history of the world where your identity is based not on where you're from, being an American is not based on where you're from or your skin color, where you look, but it's just an embrace of the idea. And essentially that idea is a meritocracy, mm -hmm. is that if you work hard and play by the rules, your life will get better over 20 years. I want you to realize that is such a fundamental impossibility in human history. Sure. That, that if you work hard and play by the rules, you know what happens if you work hard and play by the rules right now, today in Somalia, your life is the same in 20 years. It's the same. If you work hard and play by the rules in Belarus, it's basically the same. Mm -hmm. If you work hard and play by the rules in America, the way our system is structured, you, your life will get better. Why? Why is that? And this, it's because we reward success, but you also have to take responsibility for failure. And that's the other thing, is that we don't have cumbersome social welfare programs that just reward mediocrity. You sit at home and do nothing. Um, and so anyway, that's, the, that's a country and culture I want to really rebirth. And I think there's enough people like us, Gary, that are starving for it. I really do. And like you, Q, that really want to bring, and this is not a political thing. It really isn't. It's no longer about Republican, Democrat. And of course, I vote conservative, Republican, all that. That's fine. I'm not here to proselytize. It's the question of who are we as a country? And, and, and why is our country better? How is it that a country of 5 million people that's basically a new country on earth dominates 80% of the world activity, has by far the largest GDP, double of any other country, 5% of the world's population. We take in half the world's immigrants. We're the most generous, the most benevolent, the most Nobel Prizes, the most Olympic medals, the most patents, the most businesses. But with, with, all, with all those great things, the, the challenge is getting, you know, being complacent, and, and that's the fear, right, mm -hmm. that I have. And when I see complacency in families, totally. in, in relationships, in business, you have to be vigilant. in government, right, when I see complacency, I see a you know, future of losses, big losses. And and I and I fear that that's where that that's what we have to we sure. have to we have to be ready for right we have to make sure that we're we're strong against the the complacency that can set in and again Q and I talk about this all the time you know our foundation our businesses we can't ever be complacent we can't ever no. think hey we're the best we can't be beat now we're now now we can we can we can get lazy right that's absolutely right. not can never um, so that that's and and when I look at with with your organization our, uh, turning point I say our organization I look at it as one of you're my our, favorite board, favorite yeah. things in my life right. When I look at our organization, Turning Point, um, and, and I, I look at the investment in Turning Point, I, I can tell anybody very, very confidently that invest in politics, and I do as well as anybody, sure. as any business leader. If I get see good people running for office, I love to support them. I love to help them and, and advise them. Thing. Anything I could do, right, to help them get, you know, get along and, and win. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, the investment I, I make in politics is nothing 
close to the investment I make in TPUSA. Thank you. Because, because when I invest in a, in, a, in a great person that's running for an office, right, the odds of them winning might be 50-50. It might be 30% odds for them to win, right? And then if they win, the odds of them doing what I thought they were going to do, right, to do good things it's for even our community lower. is even lower, right? So, so for me, the, you know, I'll continue to do some of that. But boy, I tell you what, when, when I look at my friends that have invested in Turning Point USA, they say, holy cow, this doggone organization is so lean and mean. This kid is so frugal still, right? And, his, and his leaders are so frugal yes, still, sir. right? Uh, it, it, that, that this is the best investment they could make. Thank and again, you. when we think about what we did with, with 15, you know, 3 million, then 5 million, then 15 million, and what we'll do with 20 and 30 and 100 million, right? I guarantee that it'll be better than any RNC oh, money, yeah. uh, well, you know, young conservative, uh, uh, the, the money they, they yeah, bring and, in or anything, right? And, and look, and it, here, here's why. And so it's, it's fun. And it's in politics, this is an interesting sidebar for people that might be interested in the political side of it. In politics, it's, and I talked a little bit about this in Florida, it's that it's typically a universe that is adverse to disruption. Politics in America over the last 30 years has really been the same. The same families have been running it. We almost had another Bush be our nominee. Yeah. Think about it, though. Exactly. You know, we had the same kind of families and the same kind of organizations. And Trump kind of really challenged that in a very exciting way. And even if liberals hate Trump, do you know what the coolest thing about Trump is? That anybody can be president. That despite what they throw at you, despite what they do to you, despite what they say, that yeah. you can't do it, it's a joke. That a random individual out of nowhere, him, he can be president and that he could defy the odds. I think that's just a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And a lot of people on the left despise him so much they can't even recognize it. But we were essentially being told, you have to choose between another Clinton or another Bush. That's essentially what we were being told. Yeah. Right? Bush had raised $120 million in a super PAC. Clinton had billions of dollars. We were being told, you have to redo the two dynasties. And and Trump was like, no, we still have a system where anyone can run. Mm -hmm. And our founders put it in place that we can be a citizen government. And boom, he did it. That's a beautiful thing. But anyway, um, look what what the investment that Turning Point USA that we get from investors. We're just so we're just so thankful for it, and the impact's going to keep keep uh, making a difference. Okay, so I'll, I'll say um, when we look at uh, leadership, I mean le leadership. There's there's so many great tenets that we have to think about in leadership, right? Um, whether it's accountability and, and that we mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Responsibility, accountability, passion, right? You're such a passionate dude, Passion's man. So, so so fun to watch you and your passion operate, and and, 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 and you too, and how it inspires everybody around you, right? That's huge. When we look at when we look at uh, connectivity, Charlie, you know, emotional intelligence. Q and I talk about a lot. The leaders that we have on our show. Almost always, not only are they passionate, they're smart, right? But the emotional intelligence they have is usually at a high level. And, mm -hmm. and when I see how you connect today, and, and I was amazed at how you connected with this 49-year-old guy back six years ago, and then I see you t connecting with my son, who was, like, say, 14, 13, 14 at the time, Nick, right? Or my son, 20, a little older than you, Austin. It, it, you know, you, you were able to connect with people of all ages at, a, at, a, at an odd time at 19 years old, right? Bill Montgomery, your, your, your right-hand advisor 70, at 72 at the time, now yeah. 70 or 70, 78 now, yeah. 78 now. I mean, how, how you connect with him, I mean, that's not common. So again, and how, tell, explain the ability to con connect with yeah, other people I mean, and where, you know, what that means to you when you look for leaders today. Someone said this to me, and it made a lot of sense, which is leadership is the ability to quickly judge people and organize them effectively. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And it's true. Because if you think of what leadership is, it's being able to sit in a boardroom and being able to say, Susie's having a really bad day right now. I'm going to talk to her after. Mark needs his butt kicked right now. <laughs> 
and um, you know uh, Tyler right now he could do he could be doing a lot more. He's just bustling. You got to get him another project. <laughs> and Mark in the back of the room, um, I don't think he should be at our company anymore. You have to be able to do that in thirty seconds or less. That's what a leader is. Wow, it's very hard. It's mm-hmm. very very hard. And it, you know what? It can't be taught. If, if you just you, I'm, I'm there, now there's now. Here, here's the time old, I've read probably 30 books on this, and I finally have come to a conclusion, I have no conclusion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I will tell you what I think of it, is can leadership be taught? This is, this is one of the great questions that stupefied the Greek philosophers, by the way, that, that, that the Roman thinkers spent hundreds of years writing about. Can leadership be taught? And so my answer, my answer for whatever it's worth, is um, the qualities that make a good leader can be taught, but leaders cannot be created. They just can't. They just mm-hmm. cannot be created. Now, you could become a better leader if you're in a position. If you just say, I'm just not a natural born leader, but I'm in charge of this small group in church, and you could teach that person to be better at that, and they could become a better mm-hmm. leader. But, but, but leaders of men, the, the Julius Caesars of the world, the Cleopatras, the you know, the King Solomons and the King Davids, the Alexander the Greats, the Genghis Khans. And I know I'm using a lot of, you know, <laughs> military, but these are people that were really the great leaders for thousands of sure, years. Or sure. the Napoleon Bonapartes or the, you know, the Thomas Aquinas or the Marcus Aureliuses or the Augustus C. The great leaders of our time or mm-hmm. the Thomas Jefferson or the George Washington or the Abraham Lincoln or the Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Ronald Reagan. Um, you just can't teach that. Yeah. Okay, but here, here's what I would say. I believe that those that aspire to be leaders, right? Mother being a young age, usually probably, or maybe even a little on in their life, right? I believe they they aspire and they're passionate about wanting to be a leader, and they and they and they you know they absorb all the information they could potentially they could possibly take on by by investigating leadership, right? I think those people can can oh, teach totally. themselves. Oh, without to a be doubt, great leaders, and you can right? become a better, and you have to become a better leader if you're put in a position of leadership. And so here's if there's a young person listening to this podcast, here's how you know if you're a leader or not that. If out of nowhere, people are always just kind of coming up to you and just asking for advice or guidance. Yeah. You know what I'm talking oh, about, yeah, right? Yeah. Or, you know, if just kind of, you're just in a, you, you're just in kind of a group meeting and people just always seem to kind of look to you. They don't know why, but it's just, they're just magnetized by it. And you're always wondering, why am I always being the one chose to, <laughs> you know, why, why do I also feel a sense of guilt when the kid's being bullied? Why, why do I just feel different mm-hmm. about all these kids going out to drink? That's a leader. Yeah. Why, why, why am I just bored by everyone just having conversations about silly, superfluous things? Those are indicators that you're a leader. Sure. And, um, cre- and, and by the way, so once you find those people, developing them into better leaders is so, so, so important. Absolutely. Yeah, so I got I uh, my youngest in the room today because he wanted to hang out with Charlie. He loves Charlie. Oh, geez. And Nick is I in love here. Nick. He's Nick, so Nikita great. Nikita Thomas Raybine's in the room today, He's listening in. But Nick, Nick uh, won't go to a lot of parties because he just won't drink. That's he, how I was. And he, he won't smoke. He won't uh, He's do a the. He won't do the vape thing, right? That's, I, and, I, and by he, the way, we didn't have any of this stuff when I was in high school. This man, vape no, thing. Not at all. No, I mean that was I feel like it was 50 years ago. But again, but. he's you know he, I know he's got plenty of, a lot of friends that, that put pressure on him to go to these parties and hang out. And I said, Nick, get out there and go to these parties, hang out with these kids, right? And he's like he's just you know he doesn't say no, I don't want to, or whatever. He just doesn't just kind of doesn't do it. But um, you know, I want him to get out there and, and enjoy these, these friends of his. But he mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to be in a position be put in a position where he looks like the you know the naysayer or whatever. But uh, what would you say to that? Those kids out there well, that look find 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 comfort and confidence in being different 
and like being being not part of the the conformity debauchery lifestyle and that's how I was in high school I never I never did any of those you know sort of drinking or smoking or any of that sort of stuff a lot of friends did and they're I'm telling you and I predicted it back then they're not doing very well today let me yeah. tell you and I don't wish that upon them but they're not doing very well at all um, but if you know what you want to do with your life this country allows you to do that and um, it could be frustrating when you're in high school when all those kids are doing that but look, I, I never, I don't think I went to any of those types of parties or anything. Mm -hmm. I just was always so bored by by high school, um, by high school students, just by their topics of conversation. There were four or five people that I would always have just certain philosophical conversations with, and I just kind of moved on from it. Um, but that's a great indicator. Think, yeah. think nothing, think nothing negatively about it. Um, so, I, so I had, I had FOMO, right, the fear of missing out, right, and so I, I was, I went, <clears throat> I was a partier. I went to parties, I hung, I did all these things, right. That's okay. I, and I, look, kind of, I, I kind of, you know, didn't get too crazy with it all, right, but, but enough to where I definitely was a partying kid and kind of went with the crowd in some ways. Um, eventually, I figured out that, that that's not who I wanted to be, and in my early twenties, didn't stop drinking, smoking pot, doing whatever, right, you know, having a good time. When, when just, just, I, I had a good time without those things, right. But bottom line is. Um, I believe differentiation, as you just mentioned, you know, Nick's, Nick is so cool with his differentiation, right? And, you know, when I think about who he is as a, as a young man, he's, he's very different than the other kids, but he's, but he's in a, different in a cool way. And that differentiation is, is a strong, uh, it's, a, it's a strong character trait of his, right? Totally. I look at Quentin, I look at you, we're different than most, you guys are different than, than people in, you know, your age, coming from the communities you came from. I think differentiation is is one of the coolest things oh, uh, that you can expose and anything you, have you want to, take to be good pride at. In it. Yeah. And 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 when you become an entrepreneur, you lead you know, when you lead nonprofits like you guys are, you become an entrepreneur, you better differentiate. If you don't, you'll die in my opinion. You'll die as a business if you don't differentiate. If a customer doesn't want to do business with you because of these of these differences that create more value to them, right? Well, you know what? You're just another number. Yep. And so so uh, I think the differentiation that that a kid could could uh, embrace early could be a different it could be the, the future differentiators that, sure. that, that create success in extreme levels right so i agree with that but differentiation i i, I believe is a, a huge deal and uh, you've, you've done a great job with it you know differentiating because because and now in today's college campuses where you know it was cool right to kind of rev, be a rebel a little bit right to to, to um, now being conservative not, is being a rebel. not being yeah remember remember not being conservative was a big deal in the in the 70, 60s 70s right that's right and and uh, all the kids want all the cool kids that's what they that's who they were today you're you've got the cool <laughs> you you've got the coolest movement because you're so different you know that your 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 young leaders in schools today are are, are leading a, a revolution that's that's uh that's so different and it's and it's kind of the opposite of what it used to be right that's exactly right. How, I, and okay, in the in these schools, tell me about how you identify these leaders. Now you don't see every one of them, do you? I mean, no. How do how do you identify leaders in these well, these college campuses that end up sending your you know carrying yeah. your message throughout the well, college campus? And, and that's over years you build systems and you you have mm -hmm. to start with a, a small team and um, just some pieces of advice for people that are starting businesses. Um, you will have a falling out with original founders. It's not a question of um, if; it's a matter of when. Just going to happen and mm -hmm. so not a falling out but you'll have a period of trial that you might have to split um, that happened of course um, and but then you find a team and you get better at it and you find better people and you get better at identifying people and all those sorts of things and so we just we built great systems and um, I'm not a system builder but I'm pretty good at understanding what success looks like and driving towards excellence and then putting people in the right place like I said leadership is the ability to judge people quickly and organize them mm -hmm. effectively 
um, and then allow them to actually do what they need to do. And then you can kind of just touch and see, oh, is this going well or is this going well? Or I heard from two people that this is not going well, so maybe I should call them and just spot check it. Um, but you have really good managers and really good operators that are able to make sure the systems are are moving upward. And being a leader does not, you know, delegating gets a really bad impression. It makes it seem as if you just don't care, total hands off. That's not, that's not really what delegating is. De delegating is kind of being... Um, in, the, in like Ocean's Eleven, the casino, where you're the casino owner, but you still have the view of every all the tables mm -hmm. and see how they're going. That's kind of what delegating is. You're not the sure. one actually dealing the cards, right. but you're overseeing it. And if and if someone's stealing from that table, you you're responsible for it. And you can delegate um, you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate responsibility. That's one of the biggest things I find with entrepreneurs. Well, it's not my fault because Susie said it. Well, you didn't do it. But it is your authority. It's you. It's you sure. take responsibility for it, and I find that a lot. So anyway, um, we have great systems. We don't. We know. I don't come in t contact with all our students, and it's so big now. We have. You see it, Gary. Thousands of students reaching out to us that want to get engaged and mm -hmm. want to get involved. And we just had thousands and thousands of students down in uh, South Florida and Palm Beach for our biggest. Do we, ever do we have conference. a number there. Is it four or five thousand? Oh, or? easily. I mean, that last day with Tucker Carlson, we were upwards of four thousand because we had a lot of day of on you know, yeah, Tucker yeah. Carlson, yeah. a lot of people that were coming in. So you saw how packed it was just all the way up there. Yeah. And, um, and we'll probably be doubling it. Then. Well, you know, the, the the really cool thing too when I was there, you know, I, I've been to CPAC once, and, uh, and and a lot of my friends go every year to CPAC, and uh, just like a lot of go to the, the, the Democratic uh, conference, right? And uh, and, and they're always amazed at how, how cool it is, how fun it is, and like-minded people together and all that. But I, I was around probably 15 different people that go to CPAC every year that were down at our TPUSA conference in, in uh, Palm Beach, West Palm Beach. And uh, every single one of them said, this is way bigger, way better than they've ever seen CPAC. Now think about it. CPAC's been around forever, uh, 40 years. And, and, the, and the money they spend is like only probably about 50 times more than we spend at Turning Point USA to do the event we do, right? Um, it's It's amazing what what's happened and what you've built, buddy. And I, and I know you you don't need to hear it because you hear it enough. But again, to build a system it's, like that, it's a team, though. To, it to really is, and that's what other the team you, the team you build the team you built built is amazing. When I look at your 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 the leaders around you, the Tyler's, the Candace Owens, right? I tell you, Mar Marcus, this kid, Marcus, he's what a stud. A, he's a stud. I mean, yeah. uh, anybody you say, so I, I'll, I'll call Charlie once in a while and say, hey, I need, I need one of our stars. I'm going to go to this conference or that conference or whatever. And he sent, you know, he's, oh, man, I wish I could go. I don't, ever, I don't expect him to even go anymore. He's too busy. But then he'll send somebody, one of his leaders, every single time. The, these governors or the, these business they're leaders. They're impressed by them. They're always impressed. They're always like, wow, how do I get connected to that organization, right? And, and, and so it's, it's so fun to see that your messaging is so tight that, man, whether it's you there or it's them, I'm getting the same exact uh, story, the same, same elevator, the same in-depth, you know, mm -hmm. why, why we're doing what we do, the, the plan, the vision, right? And I think that's the key now. How, how, how do we continue to do that? Sure. Whether we're in business like I am, or, or nonprofits like you guys. How do you continue as you grow to make sure the messaging is, is tight, right? And, 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 and as it changes, it changes across the board. Yes. So one story is not be, being told differently from one of your leaders to another, right? And, and you know, it, we've been at this for six and a half years, which is a, it's a pretty substantial period of time. It is and it isn't. You know, you, can, you could argue both ways. But uh, over time, you start to really inculcate leaders that breed other leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what leaders do, is that leaders are able to create leaders that then create you know, other leaders and, uh, and find them too. 
And so being the identification of leaders is something that we're really, really you know, passionate about. So. Le- leaders aren't leaders unless they can inspire others to go beyond what they normally would without them. That's right. That's how I look at a leader. And, and you, you know, you're, you're doing a great job of that. When I, when I meet your young leaders, they're capable of that for sure. Mm-hmm. But, boy, you, you better continue to make sure that message is tight and, the, and, the, and that the vision is tight so they can the, the, the hundreds and hundreds of leaders that you have tomorrow can, can continue with that, right. that message, right, and understand the direction. Um, what what uh, when when I, when I look at okay so so since the beginning I, I was I'm always a little bit out there when it comes to just throwing stuff out there I guess you know and sometimes I'm right and after I met Charlie within a couple of weeks I had a lead, I had a leadership meeting with the CEOs I'm in a YPO and and I went to this meeting you know you do your updates and I said man one of my updates and my my friends will tell you Paul Darley wrote in his book sold actually you got to read that book Charlie sold. am I in it. Uh, you're in it, yeah. No way. Uh, okay, so this is what this is how you got in it, or this is part of how you get in it. So I'm in our, our forum meeting within a couple of weeks of after meeting Charlie Kirk, and I said, man, I said, what's your best and worst for the month before since we met, right? And I said, oh, I'll tell you what, the best, man. I met this young guy, uh, Charlie Kirk. He actually is asking me, the hillbilly, to mentor him a little bit, right? And I love mentoring young people. And, and, and so, uh, but this kid, I'm telling you, knows more about world, the world, world, world's governance than I've ever seen. And, 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 and I, I think this kid will be the president of our country someday. And they, and they go, oh, Raymond, you're so full of it. How could you say that? That's crazy, right? I said, you know, I know it's crazy, but, but this kid has every, all, all the uh, attributes of what I look upon as a great future leader for anything he does. He could be a CEO in any one of our companies and kick butt today. And actually, I, tried, I kind of recruited you at one point. I said, Charlie, why don't you just come and you see all these businesses we got going? You could be a leader in one of these businesses and take it to a, a, a crazy level. And, you, and, you, and you know, I know your mind was like, yeah, right, Ray like I want to be part of this dirty business, right? <laughs> yeah. but, but, but either way, you know, you, you, it, it, but again, I said it back then. And, and since then, I've heard people over and over say this, including Rush Limbaugh about it within, what, eight, ten months ago said, this young man, uh, he believes will be the president of the country someday. Now, now, Charlie, I know you, that's not something you say or, you, you, you know, one thing that I'll always tell you and all your best friends will tell you that care about you are going to say pride kills, right? The biggest problems we've had in our business is, is we've gotten prideful. Biggest losses I've had is investing in a business that I thought I'm smarter than that guy that owns yeah. it. I could take it to another level. I wasn't passionate about the business, and the business ends up going, mm-hmm. you know, turning out to be a bad deal for me, right? And so, so people like me have been through issues, you know, issues in our lives yeah. where pride has been the biggest enemy. And, and uh, I, I'm, I'm a God-loving guy, so I believe that comes from the other side. It comes from the sure. devil. So, so again, when I, when I see you, um, I haven't seen any of that in you, right? And, and I know other, other friends that are around you more than I am say the same thing, man. Charlie's yeah. just keeping that pride to, to, at, at bay. Oh, God um, yeah. so, so it's an important thing, right? But, but again, so, so when you think about these things, people saying, Charlie, you're gonna be, you could be president of the country someday and all these things. How do you keep that pride in balance, well, bud? The funny thing about humility is as soon as you think you have it, you don't. Because, <laughs> oh, look how humble I am. You know, like, oh, cool, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the most humble person ever. <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah. I, I, and this is kind of goes back to just the, the daily routine type thing, which is um, if, you, if you go back to, okay, I've been running now for, I started running in okay. September of 2013 is really when I started to run every single day. And um, when I do a 15 mile run, it feels the same as it did five years ago. This sounds really silly, but it's like, I'm just the same person. It's the same endeavor. Mm-hmm. Just certain things around you have changed. And um, look, I've been through a tremendous amount of um, just, trials at times i don't want to get too much into it on the podcast but uh maybe 10 years from now i could talk about all those sort of things but just 
hiring and firing and you know people that were not acting in good ways so on and so forth and um, just having to go through a lot of ups and downs and look mm -hmm. I mean just you know this year alone the media tried to do everything they possibly could to destroy us and uh, they didn't mm -hmm. and uh, just creating total misrepresentations and falsehoods and uh, you know and, and, and stuff like that doesn't phase me as as much as it probably should it just I don't like them seeing going after good people and things like that um, which is upsetting and uh, you know that's so look that kind of keeps you on your your heels and um, it should and you know I don't know I God willing I continue to not fall into that that trap and um, again I, I'm not going to say I'm humble because as soon as you do you're like oh my gosh no look all I'm gonna say is that I try to try to stay grounded because that um, every time I don't then it just seems that it's something happens and um, that's not, that's a bad reason to do it but it's just also the you just need to realize that all of this could disappear in an instant absolutely all of it and so you'd put in protective measures to prevent against that but um, you, you when you become prideful you stop thinking in the way that got you where you were and um, you know that's uh, that's a really important thing to remember. Absolutely, and 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 I and I know that you know your guidance to these. Think about a student council, a student president, student body president, at a at a huge college, right? I mean, they they have definitely the ability to get crazy and prideful in mm -hmm. that role. And they, they're controlling big dollars and yep. all that kind of stuff, right? Um, people, are, kids are looking up to them, right? And and so and same we, thing. We see it happen a lot. We we see it. Ha we see plenty of people that get very you know very prideful and. Um, that's uh, usually almost every time they there's a fall. Mm -hmm. you know. and, and if you can continue to you know continue to, to inspire your leaders under you, that sure on that message, I think it's so important. Yeah, and for 2019, for us being so blessed with the the way we finished, I want to be really careful. And I told our team this. They said, "Oh, what's next? What's this?" I said, "Well, I'm I'm huge growth oriented always, but let's not just grow for the sake of growing and mm -hmm. trying crazy new things." You know, outside of our core competency, it's okay to have durable six months of success and just get better at what we're doing. That's okay, and mm -hmm. I can't believe I'm the one saying that. <laughs> you know, um, and I never want to be anti-growth or anything, but I don't want to get into crazy different things and doing all this different stuff. And um, and so just just reminding ourselves we got here by doing these core things. Um, and doing them better, and so that's a it's an important reminder for 2019. Well, I think I think you have a choice, dude. You surround yourself with with amazing people. Um, you know, it's just super high growth oriented people with experience outside of Turning Point USA now that have, that have come looking for you and say, you know what, uh, this is an organization. If you need somebody, I want to be part of it, right? That's right. And I, I've witnessed some people that have come around you now that. Uh, you know, I just can't, I, I'm just so excited and, and proud that they're on our team, yeah. right? I mean, I look at uh, Stacy Sheridan. She's I wonderful. Mean, unbelievable. I mean, right, this person could work anywhere for anybody, right, and do the things she's doing for that's you right. as far as, uh, you know, guiding and leading mm -hmm. you guys. In, yeah, and that's in, the other thing is I tell people, I've hired some very great people. You can't get anywhere you're going without the best possible team. You have, and, and the thing that you recognize, and we all do, you don't recognize initially, may, you may have, but I didn't, right, is, is you, you, you got somebody great as your partner, your, your, let's say your main person, your, your, your main person to bounce things off early on. They become a leader in your small organization. 
But boy, you know, they're not always the ones that take you to the next level that can be that leader. Now, they might be able to be on your team, right? But maybe not your right mm-hmm. hand, the, the, the number one person or two person sure. forever, right? So, so the challenge there is, is always, um, it's always, it's always uh, perplexing, you know, where, where you, gosh, I love this person. They've been so good for our organization, but darn it, they're not probably the right person to take that's us right. to the next level. That's right. Um, and, and, I, and, and that's the difficulty of hiring outside within an mm-hmm. organization, especially a nonprofit, because there's a culture that's created and then there's, it's almost, it's almost like inserting an antibody into, you know, a certain um, population of cells because they immediately reject it. Like, why, why is there something mm-hmm. new here? Yes, yes. So, and, and, but, so that's why you have to find the right person, you have to find the need, and you have to make sure that they are consistent with your values and your culture, or else they could be cancer. Absolutely. Or else you could be inserting a, a killer cell, which would be, it's horrendous. And I praise God, it's never happened at Turning Point. But if you have the one wrong person can bring down an organization, one. One, Because right. they will metastasize to 10 to 20 within weeks. If you do not stunt it, identify it, and remove it. It can bring down a church, it can bring down a community, it can bring down an organization, it can bring down a government, it can bring down a nation. Absolutely. One person. But but that's where the simulation has to happen, right? That's where that's where the core values have to match. That's where your team has to understand the yep. vision that was there before that person to that's say, right. our vision is to go from here to here. Within this vision of growth, we're going to need people from the outside. We're going to need people of different mindsets, right? Some diversity, mm-hmm. people that think differently. We're going we're gonna to need this. We're going to have them, guys. So get, get used to it. We But... but but we want to make we do want to make sure that culturally they match values they match and if that's the case odds are very good that that it'll continue sure. right I, I i think that's you know our business that's a challenge we have right as we grow we're all you know we looked at we looked at always promote within if we can but we hire from outside yeah probably 50 percent of the time in leadership sure. leadership positions because we don't always have within what we need to get to the next level right, right. so you have to think, think the same way and as long as your vision is is sold to to everybody in your team now they're going to say hey once in a while we're going to hire from the outside and as long as we we, we know that the values are there we're good right yeah. um well, i could keep talking for hours important <laughs> stuff um yeah. what, what are we missing so far what what, what q you got uh, your paradigm buddy i mean I, I think you've asked some some questions you know from your paradigm as a leader in nonprofit. um but uh boy you know we we had a we had a fundraiser the other night i think we can talk about it yeah. it was the biggest fundraiser the biggest dinner fundraiser I've ever seen in my life. And I had many people say that. And I've been to a lot of them, right? Cheryl and I were at a cancer fundraiser down Navy Pier, raised almost a million bucks in a night, right? And it was it was awesome. Uh, but uh, but this was crazy. I mean, raised $4 million from, from entrepreneurs and leaders. In you know, one night. Free enterprise champions that realized the value of this. And it was all spontaneous. To the future. All, sp- all spontaneous. It was amazing. It was, it was really a God thing. It was the Holy Spirit. I really believe that. Absolutely, because because uh, Charlie was worried. Charlie's like, "Dog, got it. We're we're a few hundred thousand away from our goal. I, I know we can reach this goal." And and we're all looking, saying, "Yeah, we'll reach the goal at dinner, well, that, dinner that, night, hopefully." That, but didn't think we would exceed is, it by three and a half million. Well, and this is what's so important for entrepreneurs to realize: is you have to have a direction of where you're going. You just mm-hmm. can't say, "Oh, I want to get to growth." And and this is this is the greatest example: is that last January I sat with our team. And I said, we're going to raise $15 million. And people like gasp. Like, I don't know, Charlie, it's a lot. Like, it's going to take. I said, no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to do everything I can. And what was so amazing about that evening, Gary, is that room was a manifestation of my travels that year. That's where I spent July 4th. And <laughs> that's where I you know, did that red-eye flight without sleeping. And that person who committed that gift, is, you know, it was literally 
the complexion of all the work I did in one year. Absolutely. And so when I had that goal, and I remember we were we were trend we were trending behind. We were in early September at like eight million dollars. Remember, yeah. So we're talking about. Remember, it. and I said, yeah. and I, I said, well, Gary, I don't know. The last part of the year is always good to us. And so we were behind. I mean, summer's tough. Summer's really tough to raise money, no matter what business you're in, especially nonprofits. Yes. And, um, you know, but we didn't relent. And I brought, we huddled our team, and I said, let's recommit. Here's what we need to do. We need to do this. We need that, 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 that. And mm-hmm. we said, all right, let's let's do it. And um, I, I set off on the most ambitious capital raising campaign in, in my life and probably the life of modern day American nonprofits. So, and, so, uh, <laughs> exactly. So Charlie, so Charlie, so, so something else, Q, that uh, you got to get to this next year, buddy, you got to go. I told Nick the same thing, uh, you know, and my, my family members, I've, I've told biz, some of my business leaders the same thing. Here's why, Charlie, this group of people that, that, are, that are giving, that are supporting this organization, almost all of them you started with nothing. Almost all these people I talked to started somewhere with nothing. I don't care whether they're you know, worth a couple million or they're worth a couple billion, whatever it is. They, almost all of them started with That's nothing. Right. So they realize the value of this organization. They're so excited to be part of it. And the networking, I, I'm telling you, selfishly, Charlie, if I said, you know what, this turning point thing, I don't really believe it, but gosh, you know what? There's some good value in my that's, business. That's I, why we got to get the other YPOs in there. That's they don't right. realize. That's right, because I've, I've got to be friends with so many. I have a partner today because of you, bud. Wow. I mean, and you didn't know this even, but but I met a, a, a guy, Mike Ingram, one of He's the most successful guy. guys in, in Arizona. Um, amazing guy, most giving, loving guy uh, you ever want to meet. Totally. Uh, and, and, and it turns out that his son had been in my business paving parking lots for like 20 some years. So, so I tell him about my business, he tells me about his, and sure enough, we become friends. He said, guess what, Gary, I got a friend, I got, I got a son actually that, that's, that's been in your business for like 20 years. So sure, if I meet his son, I like him as much as his dad, right, Paul. And Paul now is my partner in Phoenix in, in Rabine Southwest. And, and, and uh, Mike, Mike is there saying, who else do you want to meet? You know, who do you want to meet? You know, uh, and he knows everybody in the state, right? So either way, you know, if I looked at the selfish, say, you know what, I'm going to give Charlie uh, a turning point. You say $250 a year, and I'm going to get... All, I'm going to get all these relationships out of this deal, right? I would say it's worth it, Charlie. Actually, I could give well, $250,000 a year. Look, what, what Turning but, Point has also become, and this is kind of the, the secondary and tertiary, is that it's become a culmination of people that have been looking for each other. Yeah. And where else would you gather to meet people like that, Gary? Because you have a unified value system. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you have the agreement that to invest in something bigger than yourself. And you know that Charlie would not put me in, put someone in this room if they weren't you know, a game changer, which is true. Absolutely. You, know, you, sit in that, you sit in that advisory session. Mm-hmm. There's no question of like, well, why is that person here? And then no, no, they're there because um, for a reason, whether it be the connections, whether it be the capital, all that sort of thing. But every single one of them are givers first, Charlie. Every single one of them are givers first. That's, a fun, that's the most fun part of this. And, and Quentin, you've seen this in our organization. All the time. People that are, that are successful, that give back, are, are the most fun. Um, they're the best mentors. Well, right? they, they, they they have, they're the happiest people. Yeah. The happiest people are the people that give. People with gratitude. That's you know, right. Simple, right? People with gratitude. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, and and so yeah, we're we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna get uh, get in front of more of my friends in business to say, you know what? I know you're a selfish son of a gun business guy, business gal, <laughs> leader, right? And you don't give to anything. But here's an organization I want you to give to, and here's why. It's gonna make you richer, you know. But but actually, no. I, we don't want those. We, we really don't want people that aren't aren't into. We'll find the good ones. So. But we we've, we're finding them every year, and it's awesome. But. Uh, uh, I'll just say that uh, this has uh, been a lot of fun, buddy. And uh, this, this, this. Well, thank uh, you, Gary, wa- watch, for everything throughout the year. Watching you and watching what I want, you're doing. I want to come back awesome. on the podcast soon. 
just yeah, to talk man. more about the business side of things. Well, and stuff. we we, uh, we love it, and and uh, we're 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 gonna watch you just uh, just go to a whole other other level in this in this world of nonprofit. And uh, Q, Q and I are going to learn a lot more from our non, for our nonprofits as well, aren't we, bud? I learned a lot, man. I got some awesome true takeaways. Uh, a couple out here that, that Charlie kind of led down first, you know, not to be afraid of hard work. I think that's extremely key. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 98% of cognitive action comes from your subconscious. They always say your, your subconscious never sleeps, and that's extremely true. I actually listen to some podcasts and some audios when I'm sleeping, you know, and wow. I hear your voice all the time, Gary. And that's <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it is it's a true statement. But you know, just because you build something doesn't mean you can manage it. Um, that was extremely key because a lot of yeah. people are entrepreneurs think they have to manage everybody. Uh, nothing sells like res- like results sell, um, which is true. Um, if you want to be excellent, you need to work like it. Holy cow. You know, that was really good, man. Um, the last two things up here, I think they're really, really uh, huge, which is you can delegate authority, but you cannot delegate responsibility. And um, I feel that if any if any individual specific on this podcast wants to become a leader, you need to understand it all starts with you and you need to take this. You you need to give the success to everyone, but definitely take the responsibility of the losses. But more importantly, if you know what you want to be in your life, this country will give you the best opportunity to do so. That's exactly right. And Charlie, you're an amazing man. So looking forward to uh, hearing hearing you again and also playing basketball with you. I really want to see those skills. We'll do do it at Gary's house. I, lo- I sold that house. No oh, more geez. basketball courts. But we definitely have another place I know of. So okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll find the court. That won't be a problem. All right. Cool. But, Charlie, we love you, buddy. Thank and, you, guys. And uh, thanks for being here today. And we'll see you all again on Ditch Diggers CEO. See ya! God bless. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Ditch Digger CEO and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.